are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here. Each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world. And it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away. That's why I created the Preschool SLP podcast. The Preschool SLP is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others. Being an SLP is a mission. It's about showing up every single day. It's about giving all of yourself. It's about evaluating your work. It's about innovating practice to change lives. Every single week, let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the truest and shiniest versions of ourselves and of our clients? We're here at the drawing board for a reason. You bring your own unique gifts. Together, let's create better. Today's episode because this episode is a can't miss episode. If you are like me, you are going to return to school in a month or so and you will have a stack of initial evaluations on your desk. Now, what we want to do is we want to do those evaluations well and that we want to establish trust with these parents that we're meeting. We have limitations. We only have 30 school days to complete these initial evaluations in which we need to establish trust with the parent so that we can get started smoothly on their intervention plan. We also have another limitation. 90% of families are dual income. They're doubly, they're working. So coming and seeing them in person and having that in-person time during the school day may not be possible. So we do have the wonderful digital uh, uh, available to us now. We have the digital means of having a Zoom call, of having documents signed through PDF. However, we still need to connect. This is a very challenging mission, and I'm so excited today because we have here with us Melanie Evans, who I'm going to tell you about in a minute, but the reason I think it's really special that we have Melanie Evans here is because Melanie Evans is passionate about multicultural competence. So she wants to help speech-language pathologists be more multiculturally competent. And right now, if there's any time we need help in this area, it's right now because we are a nation divided. Mm -hmm. We are a nation that is highly tribalized right now. And as a result, we are very, there's a lot of mistrust, a mistrust among genders, among politics, among, among um, races. There's a lot of mistrust at this point. So what is already very challenging for speech language pathologists in, value, in establishing uh, trust within 30 school days with these very real limitations of both parents working, and we also have a lot of mistrust at this point, we really need to be more culturally competent. 
So I am very excited and very fortunate today to share with you Melanie Evans. So let me tell you a little bit about Melanie Evans. Melanie Evans is an ASHA certified speech language pathologist who specializes in both preschool and school age treatment. And she's worked in both the school and outpatient clinical settings. Melanie is also an online educator in multicultural competencies for SLPs, and she has a really thought-provoking Instagram, which is my favorite, at Pediatric Speech Sister. She is committed to finding ways SLPs can best serve children from diverse populations in educational and clinical settings. So I feel so fortunate to have Melanie Evans and her passion and expertise here to help us. So before we begin, I'm just gonna give you a little bit of background context in my experience in times in my work that we have had um, failed relationships. And that has come particularly in the part where you have to label the child. And I have noticed or observed that I've seen it more often when the child, for instance, is of a different cultural background. So for instance, if the speech language pathologist is Caucasian and the team is primarily Caucasian and the child is of an African-American background and the parent is, is, is very honest with me and the parent is saying, I don't want my child labeled as special ed. I don't want that mark on my child. I don't want teachers to think that my child is less capable. I don't want there to be less opportunities for my child because my child has an IEP and is labeled as being special ed. I don't want this to impact my child when my child is going on to college or any future career opportunities. I will take my checkbook, they tell me, and I will go to a private therapist and pay a mortgage payment before I will put another label on my child that can be used against them. So they look at this as that this is something that could be used against their child and that they would spend a mortgage payment before they would have another label put on their child. This is parents' problem that they face is that they look at the negatives and they look at, is there gonna be lowered expectations? Is my child going to be viewed as different by their peers because of a label? Is this gonna affect my child's self-esteem? Is this gonna affect opportunities in the future where the child can't participate if the child has an IEP? Well, this is a child that has an IEP on my child's class list, so you see how that is. Or is it more beneficial that my child is going to receive targeted intervention that helps my child thrive, that is more than general education because that's what my child needs to thrive and I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and not give them these opportunities. This is like a very difficult choice to make. And to have trust is so important. So I'm, we're so lucky to have Melanie here because of not only her expertise in working with preschool and school age and working private and in the public school setting, but also because of the cross multicultural competencies necessary for speech pathologists to have. 
so that we can reach across cultures and not be divided. So we are going to today, with Melanie's help, we are going to walk through that 30-day process, that 30-school-day process from beginning to end. And Melanie is going to help us and talk about what are some of the things we can do so that we can establish relationship despite all the odds we can we we can we can establish relationship in doing so we can help that child hit the floor running and get that intervention started as quickly as possible so let's start with the first stage of the intervention typically the the excuse me the evaluation and that is the case history this is where we get the parents input now what I like to do it with the case history form is I just add one question and I just want to put it out there. Are there any cultural considerations that we should know about? Is there any religious considerations that we should know about? Are there any dietary restrictions? Is there anything else in particular to your family's culture that we should know about? So I place that in print on my parent input form which is in my book, it's a download. But that is as far as I know about how I can build a relationship during the case history phase when I'm getting the parents input, step one. And now I'm excited to hear Melanie Evans and her ideas about what we can do during this stage to build a relationship. What's a relationship builder? Well, Kelly, first of all, I just want to say thank you for having me on here. This topic is incredible and you're very intuitive with this because I actually had a specific situation where the parent said exactly what you said. I do not want my child labeled. I do not want this to carry with him. He was a kindergartner. I don't want this to follow him throughout the rest of his career. They already know the stigma. They're educators themselves, so they know the stigma um, that comes with it. So thank you for bringing this topic to light because this is something we definitely need to know. Um, first, to talk about your strategy with asking about the religion, um, any dietary restrictions, um, everything that is perfect. Definitely, definitely need to do that, especially when it comes to dietary restrictions, um, religion, everything like that, because we don't want to incorporate certain themes that have nothing to do with their own culture. Another thing I want to say is definitely just take a family-centered approach um, from the very beginning. I will say, if the parent is already expressing to you that they don't want their child labeled, that's actually them expressing trust to you, believe it or not. Um, I will say in a lot of multicultural communities, I can speak specifically for the Black community, it is hard for us to be at really a table full of predominantly white people and tell them we have this insecurity, we have this weakness. It's hard. <laughs> so for um, a parent to just come out and say, okay, I don't want my child to have autism. I just simply don't want him to have autism, one, and I don't want him to be labeled as having autism. Um, that's the first step. And that's when you can go in and just keep building the trust from there. Um, secondly, I want to definitely say just to take the parents' perspectives. I know we say this all the time and we talk about cultural humility, but it's, it's really a practice. You have to be genuinely empathetic with these parents. Take yourself out of it 
Um, I think as school-based SLPs, we're always, in SLPs in general, but especially in the schools, we're always on the go. Our minds are always working. Um, and of course, they are working for these families. But at the same time, you know, we do this all day, every day. So to us, it's a job. And it's easy to just go through the step-by-step process, but we forget that there are real people who we are working with. Um, So take their perspectives into consideration. Um, I do have a really great example. Keep in mind that parents um, who are part of minoritized cultural groups may already feel overwhelmed by the burdens placed on them just by being a minority in this country. So that's the first thing. Um, so a parent who was sitting at this table, um, I live in Houston, so I do work with a lot of immigrant families and many times they're actually quiet. They're actually quiet. Um, and we're the ones who are talking. Um, and so in that point, when it comes to the interview is when I ask them, well, what are your concerns? What are you hoping to get out of this? What is your goal, um, through this evaluation process? and really turn the table on them and turn the focus on them. I love that. I love that as a starting point. And the starting point isn't, this is our procedure that we follow. And let me explain it to you. It's Mm -hmm. what do you want? And that's what we're going to follow. We're going to follow that as our starting point. that, that That is wonderful advice. And I've never heard that actually before that is unique advice from you Melanie Evans thank you for sharing that is for saying okay we're going to sit down and the first question we want to ask is what are you concerned about we already asked that but what are your goals and what do you want to see from him and let's take it from there that's our starting point that's our that's our starting line in the evaluation wonderful so the next thing we're going to look at, we've, we've finished the parent input. Now we want to have a sample of their communication from the natural environment. Now, I found that this is parents have a love-hate relationship with this option that I give. We can have an option in which we have them tape with their phone an interaction, a snack time or a meal time with their child and their family. Now, that's one option. And I've chosen the mealtime snack time because if you do it in open play, what ends up happening is you have a parent chasing the child around with the phone and you see the back of a child's head. You have no idea what's going on. It's, it's pretty chaotic and very hard to transcribe and, and um, understand the language. For the parent, too. <laughs> yeah, for the parent, too. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so in the, in the soundtrack, I da 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 And I, I tell them, oh, I'm the, it's like real estate. I get to see every room in your home. And, you know, and we laugh about it. So we have that as an, as an option for parents. And another option is we say, or we could just take a language sample when your child is here in the clinic, or we could take a language sample when they're playing with another child in the classroom. And what would you prefer? Now, Melanie, I'm so glad you're here because this is a loaded question in which some parents are very affronted by the idea of being their home being videotaped. Right. And some are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. There's laws against that. You cannot videotape me in my house. And it's just like, no, no, no. So um, I think that I'm so, what, what are your recommendations when it comes to getting a naturalistic language sample and how we can do this in a way that is, is not obtrusive and is very respectful? Well, um, thank you for that. So the first thing I will say is, of course, just 
just simply ask the parent um, if they are comfortable with that. Um, I have done naturalistic settings um, or samples. I've asked parents for those and they just send audio tape. That's that's really what I would need is to transcribe. Now, of course, we do want the video samples so we can see how they play. And, you know, of course, we just want that visual to see how they are communicating. Um, but that is also something that we can get from the classroom. So if the parent is not comfortable with videotaped um, samples, that's okay. You can ask them, give them the audio tape sample. A lot of times they will say that they're okay with doing audio tape, um, but they might not have the time. So if they don't have the time, that's okay. Just fall back on your plan B and just get it in the clinic setting. Mm -hmm. And I like the way that you, I think this is something that you really have to be right from the get go and not like, Typically what we do is, and put the parent on the spot, and once again, we like, these are the options. Would you prefer that we do blah, 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 and not, no pressure in this area. Okay, so then, so we, so this is where we are. Step one, we ask for the parent for information. Step two, we have naturalistic um, information. Now we're going to get the formal testing information. Step three, okay? Now, when it comes to the formal testing information and gathering that information, now um, the question I wanna ask is how we can get, share that information in a more personalized manner than an evaluation report. So you have your testing results, you have the language sample, you have the parent input, you write this beautiful evaluation. How can we have this touch point, this relationship builder and sharing that those those results instead of just simply emailing a report to the parent. What are your suggestions? There are actually a few steps um, for that that I would recommend. One is be descriptive in your report and also when you're conveying it, but start with the report. Um, Think about when you're in grad school and you're really just trying to wow your clinical supervisor, Mm -hmm. be very descriptive but don't use academic language. A lot of times we fall back on our medical terminology Parents don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They don't even, a lot of times they don't even know what we're saying. They just don't because they didn't study speech pathology. (laughs) So it's up to us to say it more so in layman's terms. Um, There's some really um, that I actually just recently heard, something along the lines of, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old, then the verbiage that you're using actually conveys that you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know. So if we want to point it back to our parents, if you aren't able to explain it to a five-year-old or just put it in layman's terms, then you need to go back to the drawing board. I love that. And, you know, Einstein had a quote in which he said, if you can't explain physics to a three-year-old, you don't know physics. Yep. But exactly. So I love that. And I think another thing that I like to do is I like to give a test that showcases the child's strengths. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if it's a child with auditory processing disorder, they are going to bomb the PLS5 expressive communication because you close the book and you ask them a bunch of questions about why and how would you and and all of these open-ended questions about categories. And the child's score is so low. And it's just like, I thought my child was bright. So I'll I'll also give them the expressive vocabulary test, the picture vocabulary test that shows, well, your child is is a year below here and they're a year above here, right? So you're able to say, I see your child's strengths. This is how your child learns. We're going to capitalize on this. So I, I love what you're saying here, uh, Melanie, about your, your advice here and like put it in, put it simply, 
Put it yeah. somewhere so parents can understand. Don't because I think like you were saying, if you start speaking that college professor talk, or I don't I don't know what to call it, um, college professor talk, you're gonna yeah. lose the parents right there. Right. You'll lose them. They're not, they're no longer part of the team. You cut them out with your language. Right. Yeah, you excluded them right there. And there is another thing I did want to say, Kelly, yeah. um, on this topic, um, how we report our scores. So when we're dealing with multicultural populations, of course, it will be culturally competent to not report the scores. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, and I've been guilty of this too, a lot of times we would report the scores, but say standard scores should be interpreted with caution. Mm-hmm. Right. That's great. Now, now that, what that does also, it kind of normalizes standard American English or standard American Mm -hmm. culture, it it normalizes it by saying Mm -hmm. it should be interpreted with caution. So really um, just talk about their strengths and weaknesses, do the full dynamic assessment with the language sample, with the naturalistic sample, your observations. Um, I love the PLS-5 because they do list the strengths and weaknesses really well. Um, Sadly, you know, we don't always have access to different tools like the EVT or, you know, or even time, sadly, in the schools Mm -hmm. to do a whole bunch of different assessments. Um, but use your clinical judgment in that way. And also, again, family-centered. What what are their parents saying are their strengths? Mm -hmm. What are the parents saying are their weaknesses or areas of concern? And then you can go from there. And then that's also a good connection point with the parents too. I like to say things like, you know, mom, just like what you said, you noticed this, we noticed it as well. And that helps them feel a part of the team and more confident in what they're doing at home. So you just, this is a whole other episode that we're going to have to have about not reporting scores on the report. Mm-hmm. That's another episode. I'm going to let that linger in the mind of the listeners in this short podcast, and it's going to bug them. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope they can sleep at night knowing that. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's like, but we've all done it. We've all done it. So don't, don't I, feel shame. Yeah. Uh, just food for thought that does perpetuate some of the issues that we're having. Thank you for, thank you for, this is why I love Melanie Evans so much is that she's an advocate. She is an advocate for those, the voiceless and those without a voice. And that's what you're going to love about her Instagram account. She's talking about African-American suicide rate. She's talking about all of these issues that no one's talking about and giving them a voice. So I'm so, we're so fortunate to have you here. We are going to, I love that. And would you recommend, okay. do you or do you not? I wasn't sure to recommend that scores should be interpreted cautiously. Um, do, do you recommend that line or do you not recommend that line? I don't recommend that line. Okay. And again, I've been guilty of it too, but okay. I don't like it. Like if we are really trying to put the needle forward, what's the, what's the term, pull the needle forward? Okay. If we're really trying to make a step in, in the right direction, we should eliminate some of the old, things that we did in our practices or have done. Okay. So that's a crutch. You would say a crutch. Oh, oh, it is. I've used it as a crutch. Well, I will be honest and say it. Mm -hmm. I've used it Mm -hmm. as a crutch. Okay. Well, these are, I know, I feel kind of bad for reporting these scores because I know technically this child speaks African-American English or this child is a Spanish speaker. Some things might not be aligned. Well, let me just say, interpret it with caution. Mm-hmm. And then for us, I think SLP, our job is done. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but really, that that doesn't really move things in the right direction. So just food for right. thought. And it's very good food for that. I love it. All right. So now we're going to go to the next step. We're sharing the evaluation results. 
And before we had this meeting in which now we're like, now we're going to and tell you what the plan is, what the label is. I like to have a meeting before that, a touch point before that, and let to, let to, let the parent know what cards are on the table. These are some options we're looking at. This is the label we're looking at. And how do you feel about that? What about you? Do you like to have kind of a pre-IEP meeting as well, an informal meeting with the parent to let them know what direction uh, the intervention team's thinking and, and what the options are? Yeah, so I would definitely recommend that again. And, and I've said it a thousand times in this episode. I understand that SLPs simply do not have the time. I understand that SLPs are simply overwhelmed, especially if you are working for a district that that drops things that are mm-hmm. lacking all the time, right? So so just with that said, I do think it's still very important to call the parent after um, you do the evaluation. Um, Some ways that I've done it is uh, we'll get what we call itinerant students, which are pretty much three-year-olds or maybe two, almost going on three, who are zoned to our school. Um, And of course, when I'm dropping the child right back off to their parent, I'm telling them what I found, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Alternatively, for the children who are already going to the school, Make time in your schedule that week, maybe even block out time to contact parents because we should be doing that anyway. Um, Make out time during your week to contact those parents, contact those parents. Hey, I just tested Johnny. Here's what I found. Um, And again, that's just another way to build trust and to include them in the IEP process. And that way, also, um, part of my SPED team, we love doing that because it makes the IEP team meetings go by faster. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. What I love about what you said is, I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I think that some reason I feel like I have to be a martyr as a speech language pathologist and that every minute that I'm at that workplace is I'm giving therapy. I am in therapy. And when do I do my reports? And when do I do my parent contacts? During my lunch. But that's a problem. That is an issue. Because, yeah, because you need boundaries. And these boundaries are important because we need to front load and build relationships. And we need to, we need to carve out time for that. So I'm so, I'm so glad that you mentioned that. So if anyone else is like me that's listening to this right now, and that's like every minute of the day I'm in therapy and that's kind of your badge of honor. And if I'm not in therapy, I'm giving an evaluation and I get it all done. Well, where's the parent time? Mm-hmm. Where's the parent connect time? Mm-hmm. That needs to be there. That needs to be scheduled in and you need to, to give time to that because that matters. So thank you so much for bringing that up. That's so important. Now we're getting to the last step. Now we're having the formal intervention meeting, okay? So how can we build trust at this heavy moment where the parent is kind of making Sophie's choice, right? Mm -hmm. And that the child would benefit from these specialized services, that getting the label is worth it for the child to receive these specialized services. Is there anything you would recommend at this final stage that just gives that extra, that parent, that extra feeling of support that I'm making the right choice here because this is a hard choice to make. Okay, so would this be the the stage when we're asking the parent if they accept the eligibility? Yeah, I guess it is. At this point, this is where first we're saying in the in the matter, the evaluation team meeting, we're saying this is the, uh, right here, this is the label we're going to put your child under, where the, your child qualifies under services under this label. So mm-hmm. that's that's part of it. And then 
and, and letting them know that, that this label makes them eligible to receive the extra intervention services and that we need the label in order to provide the services. So they go hand in hand. And how can we, this is, I mean, this is, parents have told me IEP meetings are the worst. They're so stressful for me. I, every year I dread them, that these are, that these are just very big, scary moments, you know, for them. How do we make this moment less dramatic, I guess, is, is the idea and, and have the parent feel that they are a member, which they are every mm-hmm. step of the way. Is there any, is there anything that you do to make this process um, more, um, how to explain it, more collaborative and make sure okay. it's collaborative to the, to the final step, to when the parent signs that document, they were like, I was involved in every step of this process. Right. That is such an invaluable question, um, Kelly. It starts at the very beginning, starts at the very beginning. We call them IAT meetings, um, pretty much those meetings, the referral meetings. It starts there. That's when I share my stories. I share my own personal stories about how, how I also was a late talker. When I was three years old, I had speech services until third grade, and now I'm talking all the time. I tell them those stories. I tell them um, previous cases I've had, different success stories. So, so throughout the process, the goal is to build relationships with the parent while also doing your job. Um, because I will say just one point I want to bring up is a lot of times, especially in the school system and with the overwhelm that comes with that, the heart of the job is taken out of it. And we're really just checking the boxes that the district tells us. Have this evaluation done by this time. Make sure you're seeing the kids. We don't really care about the quality of the kid, you know, of the therapy you're receiving, but make sure you're getting those logs done, you know, things like that. Um, don't lose sight of why you started. I always say that. Do not lose sight. So that's the first thing I want to say about that. Um, also when you're including them as team members, keep them updated with like their rights and the different laws. Mm-hmm. Um, parents don't know. They, they really don't know. They really enter into this blindly. So if you are thorough with the procedural safeguards, um, and tell them exactly what they're able to do, what we're not able to do, what they're allowed to do, that they even have the right to revoke services that citing the paper. Oh, Yes my child can be tested, they can revoke that too. So let them know at any time they can revoke it. That will give them the comfort. It's kind of almost like those 30 day back money guarantees. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you kind of get that same anxiety right before you're about to sign for something. I was going to compare it to a car, but it just does not weigh as much as what we're talking about. But you know, um, you get that little anxiety, like, am I signing my life away to them? Am I signing my child away so if you include them in the process every step of the way, then they'll feel more comfortable, just like with, with us when we're about to sign off on something. I like what you say that you say two things. You say there's testimonials because there's also things people are like, is this what it's like for life? Is this in stone and this idea of it being in stone? And children with autism spectrum disorder that we've evaluated at the preschool level, we've let them know that children change over time. And that in elementary school, the child may be functioning just fine and be thriving and no longer require this label. This label doesn't fit your child anymore. This is not in stone. This is a flexible, uh, not only is it a flexible label, this is a flexible intervention plan. And that's what I like that you're mentioning there because the ball is always in the child, the parent's court, always in the parent's court. 
So when you talk when you talk about the parent rights, this is a flexible working document. And at any time, if the parent says, "I want a reevaluation, I want to change the goals, I want to change the intervention plan," within thirty days, we need to act on that. Mm-hmm. And I like what you're saying is making that money back guarantee testimonials. See, this is the Melanie Evans. It's the business. <laughs> like, how do we seal the deal? This is where you show the testimonials. This is where you let them know there's a money back guarantee. This is now you let them know they can cancel at any time. Right. So great advice. I think that is also where every step of the way, letting parents know, letting parents know that this is a flexible working document and the ball is in their court. So I love that. I love that is a great strategy and letting them know that is their rights, that this, this is flexible. This is not a year long plan. This is a today plan. Mm-hmm. And so, again, Ellie, just, just quickly and, and please hold that thought. Yeah, <laughs> but I do also just want to say, be genuine in all of this though, you know, be genuine in all of this. So just as you subscribe to let's say a personal trainer and he's doing everything he's got to do to sell you his package. And he gives you that one day free and, you know, y'all build that relationship, treat it just like that. You didn't sign up for your personal trainer's thousand dollar package just because he said the words that he had to say. No, you genuinely felt that he was going to have your back throughout the whole process. You genuinely felt that you were going to be taken care of. So it's the same thing with your child. Yeah, there you go. And I'm, I hate to bring it back to business, but mm-hmm. people work with people they know, like, and trust. Yes. And that's why you're bringing it all home to why you have to have dedicated time, just as seriously as you have dedicated time to the intervention time, dedicated time to the relationship building time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that I, I like that you, you brought it all about around to the main point at the end of the day is that people have to know, like, and trust you to work with you. That's, that's simply what it is. That's simply what it is when it comes to connecting with people from other cultures. How can we make anyone know, love, and trust us? Well, we take genuine concern in their lives, genuine concern in their interests, genuine concern in their backgrounds. That's, that's all it takes. And it does sound simple, but I think a lot of us, um, when we are working with different populations, we're scared. We get that imposter syndrome. We might not be used to working with this, these populations, or even if we are, we might not be... Um, we might have learned these different strategies. You know, we go to these different webinars for cultural competency, but it's out of what we've already been doing, our well-oiled machines. So how can we build the confidence in moving forward? What is one piece of advice you would give an SLP to always keep in mind when it comes to doing an evaluation of a child of a diverse background? What is that one piece of advice? Keep in mind that this is also part of the parents' process too. So um, just like before, we brought up the whole um, personal trainer scenario. It starts from the very beginning. The relationship starts at the very beginning. You're going to want to educate them. You're going to want to empathize with them. And you're going to want to take genuine concern with their concerns throughout the process. That's, That's what it takes. Okay. Thank you so much. And how can we connect with you? How can we keep in touch with you? How can we get in touch with you? Yes, yes. So you can get in touch with me. Um, I'm on Instagram at Pediatric Speech Sister. Um, you can send me an email at contact at pediatricspeechsister.com or check out my website, pediatricspeechsister.com. Okay, awesome. Now, taking all of this information, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to change the world one person at a time. <laughs>